You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. But I can't get you settled down after. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Good to see everybody worn out from Bible school week. I want to thank Mike again for sharing with us this morning and also uh, Stephen and Paula for an update on VBS. I think we had a wonderful yet exhausting week uh, at VBS and um, I think by any any measure that really matters it was uh, it's certainly been an extremely successful week and we really give glory to God for that. Um, I do want to just thank again Stephen and Paula for all of their sacrifice, not just this week, but, but really every week um, with our family discipleship plan and, um, and of course all that they did this week to make that happen as well. And I want to thank all of our, yeah, yeah, definitely. Paula's not in here right now, but, um, and, and, and every teacher that, that played a part this, this week, um, every leader of every different station and uh, you know, anyone who contributed financially or, or contributed through prayer uh, just stopped in to say, to say hi, uh, you know, whatever your role was this week, uh, thank you guys uh, so much. We have, you know, we only have about 30 or so members of this church, and um, I, yeah, we were talking the other night that I think, I think we had more than 20 every single night of the week um, here helping with, with Bible school, so uh, thank you guys for for being the body, and, and I didn't do anything all week, pretty much. I was just watching you guys work, and um, and uh, and it was uh, it was amazing for, for me to see as a pastor. So thank you guys uh, just for being the body. Uh, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter three, if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter three, and uh, you know I pray that. So far, this study has been a convicting one for you as it has been for me, and I pray that today is going to be no different as we open up chapter 3. Um, just by way of, of quick review, uh, we've been on this pursuit of, of purpose, and that's, that's the title of our, our series. Uh, we've been on this pursuit of purpose, um, and, and throughout most of the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, the preacher here, who's the, the narrator, he's uh, also, who we think is Solomon, uh, the Hebrew, it, the, the word is Kohelet. It all kind of means the same thing. We use those words kind of interchangeably in this study. Uh, but the preacher has been walking us through the vanity of, of life and the lack of purpose in life under the sun. Uh, that is life apart from considering eternity. Life without considering uh, God. And he's painted for us some pretty uh, bleak pictures of, of the fleeting and unfulfilling nature of, of pursuing purpose in this life apart from God. And he'll continue to do that as, as we go along. Uh, but finally, at the end of chapter 2 last week, at the end of our time together, the preacher brings God back into the equation and gives us some hope in this life, some purpose, and we're going to be revisiting that in a, in a slightly different way uh, today. Uh, so as we open up chapter 3, Solomon now transitions to talking 
about the times and, and the seasons of our lives. And our title for this morning will be Redeeming the Time. And so I'm going to ask you to stand one more time with me. We're going to read uh, just the first 15 verses of this chapter. And then we'll, we'll get started. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity in, our, in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice. And to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink. And enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does. It shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been. And, it, and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what has passed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church family, Lord. I thank you for the beautiful, wonderful fellowship uh, that we share, God. And God, we thank you for this um, Wonderful week of VBS, and, and Lord, we look forward to seeing how you multiply uh, what happened here this week uh, for your glory. Um, and God, we, we just thank you for the opportunity to play some part in what you're doing, God. As we open your word tonight, or this morning, uh, we, we ask that you would just um, give me the words that I need, Lord. Move me out of the way, Father. We, just, we, we need to hear from you, Lord. This morning and not from me. And so God I pray that you would do that Lord. That you would accomplish that. Uh, for your glory. And that you would uh, receive all the glory and honor. And praise from this morning. And we ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Alright you can have a seat. Well for some of you. <clears throat> listening. This morning maybe as I was reading those first eight verses. You were humming. In your head. That hit song from the 60s. Anybody? Anybody know this song? Okay, Nathan. A few of you know this song. That is basically the first eight verses of this chapter verbatim. Uh, for others, you're wondering what in the world I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the first eight verses of this chapter were written into a very successful song uh, performed by the birds in, in the 60s. Uh, and you'd probably recognize it if you heard it. You've, you've probably It's been on some famous uh, movies as well. I mean, it seems that God writes some pretty good song lyrics, right? He, he's, he's pretty good at, at that. So, um, But for our purposes today, of course, the song 
is not important at all. Uh, even if you if you even if you're not familiar with the song, though, um, you've probably heard these first eight verses recited somewhere at some point, um, because even the world connects to this idea of of different seasons of life, which is of course what they, this focuses on. But I think there's so much more here than the conclusions that the world typically uh, draws from this passage. <clears throat> As I said before, the, the title of our time together this morning is Redeeming the Time. Redeeming the Time. And so I've got three points to help us walk through these, first, these 15 verses. The sovereignty, the struggle, and the solution. And so we'll start this morning with the sovereignty. <clears throat> So what we have in these first eight verses is a poem by, by Solomon, um, or by the preacher here, and he gives it uh, to describe uh, the life of, of really every single person who has ever existed, and, and these are lyrics, like I said, that even the world can connect with. We see in verse 1 that, that to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And what follows is a list of, of 14 pairs of statements that are, uh, most of them are opposites. <clears throat> a time to be born and a time to die. A time to laugh and a time to mourn and so on and so forth. They're opposites. And there's a literary device uh, called a mirrorism that's being used in, in this little poem here. Uh, a mirrorism is, is using two polar opposites um, to encompass not only those two words, but everything in between those two words. And so, for example, you might say, I searched high and low for that remote. Well, I've said that before a lot of times. We lose that remote like crazy. Kaylee, we lose the remote, don't we? Uh, we lose the remote a lot. So I've, I've searched high and low uh, for that remote. And, and so when I make that statement, what I mean is, is I've, I've searched everywhere. Right, I, and usually my wife will come behind me and show me that I did not search everywhere, and she will find it, of course. <clears throat> um, but it means I've searched high, I've searched low, and I've searched everywhere in between. And that's the device being used in this poem here. Uh, there's a time to gain, and there's a time to lose, and every situation of gaining and losing in between. There's a time for war, there's a time for, for peace, and every, uh, every type of relation in between that. And the point is that there's a, a season for everything in, in each of our lives. And we all experience this roller coaster of, of extreme highs and, and, and joys and happiness and, and then uh, extreme lows and mourning and sadness and weeping and everything in between, sometimes just the mundane. Uh, you may be in a season this morning of an extreme high, and, and that's wonderful. We, we rejoice with you. But the person next to you may be in a season of just the lowest, an extreme, extreme low, and we weep for you. We want to be a church family who does both of those things uh, really well. And so the fact that there are 14 pairs and 28 statements here um, in, in these eight verses symbolizes uh, completion and, and, 
perfection and wholeness. So seven is typically seen biblically as the number of God, right? And it's the, the number of, of complete perfection, of, of wholeness. And of course, 14 and 28 are both multiples of seven. So the idea is that this poem is, is meant to describe all of the possible seasons of our lives. And it does a pretty good job um, uh, of, of doing that, really. It's also important to note that these verses are descriptive verses, not prescriptive verses, as is, is the case with a lot of biblical poetry like this. It's not necessarily meant to prescribe what to do, but rather to describe what, what we observe. So not meant to prescribe what to do, but, but to, to, up, to observe, to describe what we, we observe. That's verses 1 through 8 here. And so we aren't, for example, meant to see the phrase, there's a time to kill, and find biblical precedence for finally taking vengeance out on our neighbor, right? That's not what the Bible is saying here. That's not the point. The Bible isn't telling you to murder if you so feel inclined. Maybe it's the season of killing, you know, for you. Uh, now, that's not what Scripture is saying to us this morning. Um, and so as we look at these 14 pairs of, of statements, we find that many of these things are, are things that we feel we have control over. Who likes control? Who likes to be in control, to feel in control? Not that many of you, really. I like to feel in control. Who likes to be out of control? Anyone? <laughs> Anyone like when your life is out of control? Okay, here we go. We got, we got a few hands. Well, I think most of us like to feel like there is some sense of control in our lives. And as we look at these 14 pairs, um, some of these things we feel that we have some control over. We can choose uh, to plant or to pluck up what is planted. We can choose to, to kill or, or to heal with, with medication, for instance. We, we can choose when to embrace or when to <clears throat> refrain from embracing. Uh, we're in control of, of, our, of our gain and our loss, at least we think we are. Uh, we can choose who we'll love and who we uh, will hate. Um, and everything in between, we choose when to speak and, and when to be quiet. And sometimes we need to choose more wisely, right? And uh, we choose when to keep and when to throw away. And sometimes we need to be more wise about the way we choose that. And we like that. We, 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 we like control. We like to feel like we are in control of our own destiny, it's one of the mottos of, of our world, right? I mean, you see it on all kinds of commercials and, and, and slogans. Uh, you know, just do you. You do you. Uh, just do it. Uh, you control your own destiny. Have it your way. That's, uh, that's uh, Burger King, right? Um, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we love control. And we like it when we feel like we have it. Um. And we like to deceive ourselves into thinking that we have more of it than we actually do. Uh, the more we look at this list of, of seasons here, the more we come face to face with uh, the reality that we actually don't have that much control over much. Uh, for instance, do we decide when to be born and, and when we're going to die? No, do we, do we really decide when something uh, breaks or when it's built up. You ever been broken down on the interstate or on the road? 
Yeah, did you decide that? Was that just what you planned for the day? Yeah, we don't have much control there a lot of times. Uh, did you plan that? I don't think so. <clears throat> Even the things we think that we control, we don't control. Did we really have much say in, in whether we're in a season of laughing this morning or whether we're in a season of, of mourning? Did we really control that that much? Did we really control what is gained versus what is lost? We think we do. We like to think that we do. But how much control do we really have here? We like to think we have control, but in reality, we are not sovereign over our own lives or the different seasons that we experience. Have you ever just thought about that, about how little control you actually have in your life? I hope that you have. It's a humbling exercise for sure, um, but, but an important one for us uh, to think about. How quickly our season can change. How quickly we can go from laughing to mourning the very next hour in the blink of an eye. And we're like, what happened? It was just so happy like a minute ago, and now everything is falling apart. That word for season in verse 1 is probably better translated appointed occasion. And, and if it's an appointed occasion, who is it that appoints the times and the seasons? Is it us? Anybody? No, it's not. God, of course, is the one who appoints uh, the times and the seasons. We love to pretend uh, that we're accomplishing so much and, and being God over our own purposes in life and that we have all this control. But it is God who really is in control of our lives and the details of our lives and the ups and the downs, whether we recognize that or not. He is the sovereign. And we are the creation. Psalm 139, uh, we learned one of those verses in, in Psalm 139 this week at VBS, verse 14, where God says that we are each fearfully and wonderfully made. A beautiful verse. We love that verse. We're each designed for a purpose by God, and He made you on purpose for a purpose. And everything about you was made on purpose. But two verses later there, in, in Psalm 139, verse 16, the the psalmist says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me. All of my days, all of my days were written before I was born. And God already knows all the intimate details of our story before we're ever even born. And He ordains every season that we go through. And, and how is it all going to fit into His great purpose for us? And, and, and He ordains beforehand um, our purposes, as Ephesians 2.10 uh, tells us. Another verse we learned at VBS this week. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, it says that God declares the end from the beginning. And He will do whatever He pleases. Psalm 115, verse 3 says that our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. 
He's in control. That is the point that is made clear throughout Scripture, and there are many other verses, is that God is sovereign. He does whatever He pleases, whenever He pleases to do it, to accomplish whatever purposes He has. And His plans will not be thwarted. He's outside of time. He's not bound by it. Uh, this poem doesn't really apply to him. It only applies to us. And we really relate to it. We experience life in season after season after season. But God sees all the seasons all at once. He sees everything all at once. We can't even fathom that, can we? He is in control. And we are not. And that can be a... A scary thought, I think, but, but it's actually the very thing that Solomon is going to say should bring us hope, not distress, not concern. He is sovereign, and yet we make choices that really matter. We make choices that really matter. In His sovereignty, God has chosen that, that humans would be free to choose Him or not to choose Him. He has made Himself known through nature, and through His Son, and through Scripture, and through the preaching of the Gospel, so that none of us have excuse for rejecting Him. And then He bids us to, to choose. Will we follow Him with our lives, or will we not? He certainly doesn't have to do that. And He isn't bound somehow, uh, shackled from accomplishing His goals and, and, and His his purpose is by our free will. Our free will does not thwart His purposes. Rather, they go hand in hand. And so God made this, this world perfect. Absolute paradise in, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, a perfect place where Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God. But what happened? Sin, right? Adam and Eve chose sin. They had the capacity to choose. They chose sin. They chose to take control. I don't like that God has all the control. I want the control. As we often do with our lives. And, 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 and with that sin entered in death. Right? And, and suffering. And, and struggle. And that transition as well into our next point. The struggle. You see, the problem is because we live in, in a fallen world now uh, with disease and with sin and death and heartache and the curse of the fall, there are some things on this list in this poem that we don't like. Did you guys point out anything that, that you didn't like about that poem? And God is certainly not the author of evil. But yet evil and struggle does exist since the fall because of sin. And if you give us the choice, we're going to take laughter over weeping every time, right? I'll take, I'll take lots of laughter. No weeping, please, God. If given the choice, I'll take gain, not loss. Why would I choose loss? I'll take building up, but... but not breaking down, please, especially not on the highway. 
I don't want that, Lord. Now give me some, some dancing. I like dancing, but, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm not good with mourning, God. No thanks on the mourning. You can keep that. I like the idea of being born, but being dead, that's not as appealing to us, right? Peace, we'll take it. War, why? Not so much. When we look at this list of, of God-appointed seasons in our lives, uh, we don't like some of them. We don't like sickness. We'd rather be healthy, of course. We don't like waiting. We, we'd like to have it our way on our time. We're not crazy about lo losing a loved one. We really aren't that into joblessness and poverty. We'll take success and wealth, please, Lord. We'd never choose a devastating hurricane or childhood cancer or being paralyzed from the neck down. We would never choose what we see as loss. And we, we do this thing uh, where we think that if, if, if we have a desire for it, God is somehow obligated to give it to us. For instance, oh, God's given me this great desire to be married. And so He'll bring me a spouse. Well, He might. Oh, you might get hit by a truck today. And the question is, is God still good if He doesn't fulfill all of your desires here on this earth the way you think they should be fulfilled? See, if we were writing the script, there's, there's a lot of stuff we'd leave out. Is there anything you'd leave out of your life? No, thank you, God. I don't need that season. If you were really in control of your life, I bet there's some struggle you'd choose to take out. Maybe a current struggle even. As Solomon says in verse 9, what profit has the worker from, from that in which he labors? We've heard this before from Solomon already in this book. Uh, but he says, what's the point of, of this cycle of life? What's the point of all these seasons? And the answer seems to be, there is no point. Nothing. In verse 10, Solomon again draws attention to God's sovereignty and His reign over it all. By, by calling this life, he calls it the God-given task, which the sons of man are to be occupied with. Each season is God-given. God brings it, or God allows it. Is God-given and we struggle so much with that because there's a lot of seasons we just want to leave out. We wouldn't do it that way. Verse 11 says that He has made everything beautiful in its time. Underline that. If you, if you write in your Bible, circle it. Remember that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. 
but let's move on for now. Then he says that, that he, he has also put eternity in our hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And this adds to our struggle. And this adds to our confusion and our difficulty in understanding God's purpose. He's put eternity in our hearts. Praise God for that. That's, that's part of what makes us different from animals, right? We are created in God's image. Animals are not. We learned that in VBS too. It's, it's amazing how VBS is coming full circle today. Uh, we know there's more to life. Deep down, every human knows there's more to life than just this. God has placed that in your heart. We long for it. We seek it. We want to know what is it. We long for the answers to the big question, questions. And that's a universal human experience. But then the end of verse 11, it says, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. That is the frustration. We have this longing for answers. And yet sometimes God simply withholds the answers, doesn't he? And sometimes we can look at the suffering or the waiting or the struggle and we can see the fruit that came later from that. And we're like, okay, I wouldn't have done it that way, but but God, thank you. You know, and I see that connection now. I see why you did that now, God. I see why I needed that season. Other times, and perhaps this is more of the time, we never find out the reason for our suffering or our waiting or our season of weeping or our season of mourning. That is really hard, isn't it? That is hard. When you cannot see any possible good out of the struggle, even years later, what, what are you doing, God? Elizabeth Elliot talks a lot about this. She was a famous missionary. Most famous because her, her husband was brutally murdered by the tribe that they were called to take the gospel to. And, and after that, Elizabeth went back to that tribe, as, as many of you know, and she saw much fruit and many were saved because she was able to show Christ's forgiving love to them. And so I'm sure she could look at that suffering, which must have been I mean, unimaginable for me, and to lose your spouse in that kind of way to something that you thought God was calling you to, and now he just takes him away? But I'm sure she could look at that suffering, which again, must have been so deep, and she may not have written it that way, but, but she could see a reason for that. She saw the fruit later, okay, this tribe, they came to Christ. God did something amazing through it that she could see. 
But then she speaks of many other sufferings in her life where she never found the answer. And it seemed totally senseless. She speaks of losing a, a ton of, of translation work in, in one case that she's trying to use to reach this other tribe. And it's just gone. Gone in an instant. She was working for the gospel. And the work, God just erased it. I thought you called me to this, God. What, what, what are you doing? And she never saw an answer as to why. She couldn't make the connection. It seemed senseless. She speaks of, of being trained in a particular language again to reach an, another tribe here. And um, there was only one man in the area who spoke both Spanish and the native language. And, and he was really the only person who could train her appropriately. And after several weeks of working with him, he was murdered. And that's it. He was the only one that, that could really train her appropriately. And she never saw the positive outcome for that. It, it never became apparent in her life. She speaks of several other times where she wanted to know the reason for the suffering. But the reason never came. No one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. No one can figure him out. Sometimes we just aren't given the answer to the question why. Sometimes it seems God leads us down a path only to find a closed door. And we never make the connection on this earth as to why He did that. Those are the really, really, really tough moments. The, the crises of, of faith, really. When, when it seems senseless to us. Well, why are you doing this, God? When we come face to face with the reality that God does not owe us answers. He doesn't owe us that. He is God. And we are not God. You know, my kids, they really love building Legos. That's pretty much, if you come to our house at any given moment, they're probably going to be doing something with their Legos. But sometimes when they're following instructions, making a set, uh, they'll get impatient and, and begin to build based on what they see on the box, you know, based on the picture, rather than based on the next step in the instructions. And so they'll skip steps. And sometimes you don't realize it until they get several steps down the road uh, and then it's a lot of undoing uh, because they, they missed one piece. They, they, they didn't see it on the thing. So, so they missed one piece uh, that, that seemed senseless to them, unimportant to them, but it was essential to the purpose of the building project. 
sometimes our lives are the same way. There are some pieces that seem senseless, maybe even cruel, if we're honest about it. But we're not seeing the big picture. We're not able to create what God creates. We are not God. He sees the entire masterpiece. And he sees exactly how your masterpiece needs to fit in with all the others to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish and make everything beautiful in its time, which he promises to do. And we may not ever get to know the reason for a particular season. But we need to understand that God wastes nothing. He knows His purpose. Whether we do or, or do not. You know, it's the same thing as, as, as baking a cake. Of course, you would never just eat a cup of flour, right? Okay, just checking. Uh, we would never just, just eat a, a cup of flour. It would be dry and gross and, and hard to swallow. But when you put the flour in the right mixture with, with the rest of the ingredients, it makes something really nice, right? That's something really tasty, hopefully. Oh, some of our trials and, and seasons are really hard to swallow, just like a cup of flour. But God knows that they're essential to the masterpiece that He is creating. We just aren't built to understand it all. We have no capacity to do that. Remember, that's kind of the answer that God gives to Job at the end of Job. As he's questioning why all this suffering has happened to him, it seems senseless to Job. It seems cruel to Job. And God says in chapter 38, verse 4, He says, Where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth. He goes on to continue to ask questions to Job. Where were you when I told the waves where they needed to stop? Or when I created the, the behemoth or the Leviathan, these, these monstrous creatures that God goes on to describe. Where were you, Job? Were you there? In other words, God is saying, I know what I'm doing. And you cannot even begin to fathom my purposes. You weren't made for that burden. You have no capacity to understand it all as the creation. You have no capacity to hold it all together. You have no understanding of what it takes to, to accomplish your, your perfect redeeming purposes, managing billions and billions and billions of lives and trillions of decisions and situations. You have no idea. And for God, it's nothing. It's not difficult. Because He is God and we are not God. We have no reference 
for his power and his omniscience and his perfection. No capacity to understand everything that he is doing. So what's the answer to our struggle? What is the answer here? What's the take home point? Give me give me something good here, Josh. Come on. What's the solution? And that's our last point of this morning. The solution. And I've broken it down here to a, a threefold solution that Solomon, I think, gives here. What do we do with all of this? Solomon says, first of all, in verse 12, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. The first part of the solution is enjoyment. Enjoyment. We, we don't always get the answers. We certainly have far less control than we would like to think that we have. But we must believe the truth of Scripture. And that is back in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything means everything. There's no special trick in the Hebrew here. It just means everything. And in its time means in His time, not our time. He is all wise and all knowing. And we simply are not. And that means that every ingredient, every season that contributes to whatever he's doing, whether we fully understand it or not, every season has meaning. And every season is a gift from God. The joys, the laughing, the dancing, but also the mourning and the weeping and the difficulty, that's part of the gift. It's all God's gift for us to enjoy on this earth. We say this in, uh, a lot in, in premarital counseling, to, to enjoy every season of life together. Even the difficult ones, and you're going to have difficult ones, really difficult ones. And just try to enjoy every season, whether you're in an a, a extreme low or an extreme high, try to enjoy it together. It is a gift, even at times when we can't see the gift. I mean, that we may not have the answer, enjoy life as a gift. That doesn't mean you don't weep and mourn and just put on a happy face. But it means that we can thank Him. Even in the hard times. Because we know that he's accomplishing something that is beautiful. Even though it looks like a mess to me right now. And it may always look like a mess. On this earth. The second part of the solution is eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. God has set eternity in our hearts. Because eternity is what really matters why is that well it's in the word 
Because it's eternal. Because we're here for maybe 70 years and this other life is eternal. Forever. There is no end. And that message of, of having this eternal perspective is, is consistent throughout Scripture. You would think by the way that we live and the way that re we react to even the smallest inconvenience that God has said to invest everything you have into this world. But has He said that? No. No, that is foreign to Scripture. He has said time after time, this life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. There's an eternity coming. There's a judgment coming. There will be an account. This life is not all there is. Live for that, not this. Why would we invest so much in the temporary when it's all passing away? Verse 14 says that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. See, what we do in this life is quickly passing away, never to remember, be remembered again. Solomon makes that clear in the first two chapters. But what God does is eternal. His promises are eternal. His reward is is eternal. Remember, Paul says that we, we run this race for an incorruptible crown. Not something that's here today and, and, and deteriorates tomorrow. And so as we, as we talked about last week, we should ask ourselves with everything, how can every single detail, decision, suffering, in my life, be used for His glory? How can every season of my life be used for His glory to make much of the eternal one? To invest in eternity? That's where lasting satisfaction is found. It's not that, that earthly things don't matter at all, but they only matter in as much as we use them for eternal purposes. Let me say that again. They only matter in as much as we use them for eternity. And when you use them for eternity, it all matters. It is all so significant. Because there's a bigger purpose. And when we have those seasons of waiting and of suffering and of confusion, let's ask, what is the Lord trying to teach me? How is He using this to conform me more to the image of Christ? How does He want me to use this for eternal purposes? We often ask demandingly, why God? But the real question should be, what are you up to, God? What are you trying to teach me here? We can rest in knowing again that in His sovereignty, He's making everything beautiful in its time. And then allow Him to do His work in us. And lastly, we should look at the Lord 
and his plans with great esteem. Another E word. Esteem. Verse 14 says that he does all of this so that men should fear before him. Now, a lot of times we try to soften that word fear in, in reference to God and, and say, well, it doesn't exactly mean to, to be afraid or, or terrified, but it just means reverence of God. But really it's both. It's both. This is a big meaning here, not a, not a smaller meaning than fear, but it's a, it's a bigger meaning. Than, than fear, how we typically think of it. I think of Isaiah chapter 6, which I reference all the time, uh, when Isaiah is standing before the throne of God, and, and at first he is absolutely struck by his sin, and he's terrified. Remember, he says, woe is me. I'm going to die. Thinking God is about to kill him. He sees God's power, and he is in terror. Feeling his smallness compared to this huge, powerful God. But then God shows him grace in that chapter. And shows him forgiveness. And that fear turns into an awe. That says, oh, here am I, Lord, send me. I'll do, I'll do anything for you, God. Absolute awe and, and reverence of God. See, it's both fear, understanding that He is all-powerful, and He is holy, and He is in control of it all. But then awe and reverence at His character and what He's done. And what has He done? You know, skeptics often ask how, how a loving God could, could allow so much evil and suffering in this world. Have you ever gotten that question? Sure. If you've witnessed to anyone. You may have asked this question yourself. And, and a lot of that stems from, from some of the stuff we've been talking about this morning. He is making everything beautiful in its time. But let's not forget. Because it, it's so easy to forget. Let's not forget that he's proven his love to us on the cross. You can't take the cross out of the picture. While we were sinning against Him, we brought sin into this world. And along with it came death and destruction and toil and disease and all things evil. And while we were sinning against Him, Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, he brought His Son Jesus, right? He brought His Son Jesus to take upon Himself our sin. And to take the punishment that belongs to us. Whatever struggle this life may bring, we cannot forget how He has proven His love. You can't just ignore that. What do you do with that? No temporary season can possibly undo His payment for sin that brought us eternal life. How could a temporary season take away that? Make less of that. But you know, that's not, that's not the end of the story. The other aspect 
of that love is that not only did He die for us, but He entered into it. He entered into this sinful world and to all the struggle that we face and all the heartbreak. Jesus lost friends too. Jesus experienced uh, all kinds of evil that we experience. He was part of this struggle, though He never sinned. Whatever struggle you are facing, He has faced it. He knows it intimately. He has felt it. Because He left heaven. And He lived it. We don't have a high priest that doesn't understand. We have a God that understands. Why? Because He lived it. Why? Because He's God, first of all. But secondly, because He entered in. And He felt what you feel in your deepest time of struggle. I may not understand, though I try. I may not understand, but He does. And He doesn't promise answers on this side of heaven. And He's not obligated to give us answers. But rather, even better, He promises His presence through it all. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. He promises that. And He will comfort you. He promises that. And He will bring you peace. He promises that. And He'll bring you reassurance of His love for you in that time when you're really questioning it. As we close, let's, let's look at verse 15. And the end of that verse, it says that God requires an account of what is past. In other words, it's reiterating that God has His purposes. And every past event, every past season... Every past suffering, though maybe we thought it was senseless, He will bring it to account. It will be brought to judgment someday. See, He will redeem all of the time. He will redeem all of the seasons of your life. Revelation 21 tells us the, the culmination of, of that, the, the very end of all that. It shows us the ultimate fulfilling of God making everything beautiful in its time. And go home and read that entire chapter. But, but verse 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And we will be with the Lord forevermore. Not for 70 years. Forever and ever in paradise. Where sin doesn't exist anymore. Suffering is gone. 
What a day that will be. Amen. On that day, it will all make sense. It may not ever make sense in your life. On that day, it will all make sense. God will redeem everything for good. Today, you know, we see in a mirror dimly. But that day, we'll see how it was all working. And how God just kept keeping His promises. And how He ultimately kept His promises. Let's live today knowing that He will, in fact, do that. He is trustworthy. His character is trustworthy. I know the seasons of this life can be brutal. And I'm so sorry. And I don't mean to make light of any season that you're going through right now. I'm certainly not trying to do that. But he is trustworthy. I know I know I know you want the I know you want the answer. But he's given you something so much better. His son. Trust the son. This morning, if you don't know him, well, you're on the same roller coaster of life with, with ups and downs that, that all of us are on. But if you're honest, you, you feel that verse that, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. You know it to be true. Because you can't avoid the big, difficult questions of this life that haunt you when, when you can't quite distract yourself well enough. This world and everything in it is passing away. This life is about the next life. And you will find no peace, nor comfort, nor fulfillment until you rest in Jesus. The Savior. So I'm going to ask you to do that this morning through repentance and faith. I'm going to ask Gloria if she'll come and, and play uh, quietly in the background. If you need to come to Christ today, don't delay. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and, and close their eyes. And don't delay. And you do that through repenting of your sin that has nailed Jesus to the cross. Repenting of your sin, turning your back on that sin and turning your eyes to the Savior who has paid your punishment. If you need to do that this morning, you just tell Him that. Lord, forgive me, please, through Jesus and His sacrifice, forgive me for my sin. And now, Lord, I want to live for You. That You will be my Lord from now on, not me. If you do that this morning, come and tell somebody. Confess Him before men. And we can talk through the next steps of that journey. For believers, this is another heavy message this morning. Of just the, the seeming futility of, of life. But in Christ, there is nothing in your life that doesn't have great 
meaning and purpose for eternity. We must stop trying to give the gifts of God more purpose than they're supposed to have. They're not God's. They're only gifts from God. And as believers, as difficult as it may sound, even our seasons of struggle are great gifts from the Lord. Can, can, you, can you thank Him for even the struggle this morning? For what He's doing, even though you don't know what He's doing? Has He proven Himself worthy? I think He has. He is worthy of that. He knows what He is doing. He is making everything beautiful in its time. Remember the cross and remember His presence promised to you through the trial. You may not have the answer to every question, but be assured this morning of His perfect character and His great pursuit of your soul and His willingness to enter in and experience what you've experienced and to sit with you in it. Let's exalt Him this morning for His sovereignty and His great love for us, even though we don't deserve it, because He is Creator. He is so high above us. We have sinned against Him. We don't deserve His love, and yet it's offered to you. We're going to enter now into a time of communion. Gloria is going to play quietly. And as she does, you do what you need to do with the Lord in these moments. Um, reflect on the cross of Christ. And then when you're ready, make your way back to the table and, and grab the elements. And, and we'll partake together in, in a few moments. If you don't know Jesus this morning as Lord and Savior, I would, I would beg you to repent of your sin and trust in Him. I'll be in the back if you'd like, like me to walk you through that or, or, or pray with you. I'd be glad to do that. If there's a sin this morning that, that even as a believer you're unwilling to repent of this morning, the Bible would warn to, to not take communion this morning because that would be making a mockery of the cross of Christ that offers complete forgiveness. For those who repent. And so you do, what the, you do what you need to do in this time. Whether it's repenting of sin. Whether it's just thanking Him. For every season of your life. Whatever it may be. You take this time when you're ready. Make your way to the back. And I'll give you these, these moments now. To do what you need to do with Jesus.